Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One, two, three, four. Filled with odd fright. See Jurassic Right. Bathed in ember light. See Jurassic Right. Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, 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 see Jurassic ride, see Jurassic ride, see Jurassic Park. Um, okay, so let's see. Let me get my intro out of the way. I mean, look, this is a very special day, uh, or when this whatever this episode drops, it'll drop like basically on the day or somewhere around there because I'm so excited to finally talk to this, this paleontologist, this author, you know, her as lady naturalist and she has a book called that's coming out that I'm excited to talk to her about today called fossils for kids, a junior scientist guide to dinosaur bones, ancient animals and prehistoric life on earth. It's Ashley Hall. How are you feeling about the book release today? So good. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Um, thank you for having me. I've been a huge fan for a long time of ologies and for see Jurassic right and Jurassic Park. And we lived in LA at the same time and never got to hang out. And I'm very sad about it, but I'm very happy to be on today. One day we will, we will, uh, those ships will meet and, you know, I mean, look, we're being, we're being safe, you know, right now. Absolutely. But I wanted, I mean, before we get into the book, cause I have been reading it and like, to me, it feels like a, 
just as somebody who grew up like reading dinosaur books and like, you know, there's the kids books and then it's like, and then where do you go from there kind of thing? Like, I love that this feels like it's the sort of like, um, the, like the piece of dinosaur media and like thing on paleontology that like everyone needs. Um, but first, like, what is your actual like dinosaur origin story? Like, did you, were you always into dinosaurs as a kid or did you get into it? Like, after you saw Jurassic Park? Like, how did that all come about? Oh, so everyone has their own story. But mine starts when I was actually before I can remember because I have always and I will um, mute my phone real quick. <laughs> I am going off. Um, I have always been a kid who has been in love with paleontology, even before I can remember. Uh, my parents don't really know how I got into it. But I, um, I think it's because they took me to the Field Museum when I was little. And my dad was always interested in forestry. My mom was always fascinated by Egyptology and natural history. And so um, growing up in South Bend, Indiana, we went to Chicago a lot as a kid and um, to the Field Museum of Natural History, which is the best natural history museum in the entire world. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I walk into this day and still get chills because I, that's where I found my love of natural history and no one will ever take that away from me. It's just so cool. Um, yeah, I grew up kind of going to the museum. Um, and then it's one of those museums that you can consistently go back to and learn more in the same exhibition. So for me, that was evolving planet, which is their dinosaur and fossil gallery. Um, and I mean, I was reading dinosaur books and, um, watching, we didn't really have a lot of things as a kid, um, shows or whatnot, podcasts, my God. <laughs> um, I grew up in, in the nineties. And so we had like Bill Nye and magic school bus, I think, and mainly books, <laughs> but I actually grew up idolizing Jack Horner, which is ironic because now I'm at the museum, right? Where, yeah, yeah. uh, where Jack Horner was curator for so many years. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those people who's like, I like dinosaurs before Jurassic Park. But, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm one of those people too. So, but you're an yeah. actual paleontologist. So I feel like that, that goes a long way. I mean, we, we both grew up in the nineties and then Jurassic Park came out. And I remember to this day being like going to see it as a kid, going to the theater and coming out and being a changed person. Like I, I will never forget that feeling of like walking out of the theater and not being sure if there were velociraptors around the corner. <laughs> Did you have that too? I, yes, I think that is a good question. I definitely knew that they made me feel something, if that makes sense. <laughs> Although you made me really think of something where, cause yeah, we grew up in the nineties. I wonder if the dinosaur sitcom actually inspired anyone. <laughs> like that would be a very different world where if, if everyone was inspired by that TV show instead of I wish Jurassic people Park. could see my face right now. I'm making a terrified face because that show was, and it also does not hold up well to this day. <laughs> oh really? Have you, have you rewatched it? It's pretty like, I mean, it's like stereotypical nineties family, but it doesn't hold up with today's anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, this, I, I also just thought of this too. Were there any, were there any actual like dinosaur books as a kid that you really liked or, or like a type of book that stood out to you? Like, cause I had, there was an encyclopedia that I used to sleep with every night from, uh, Don F. Glut. I used to, oh, like, yeah. 
Yeah, Dong Blue. Yeah. Oh, the, is that how you pronounce his name? Dong yeah. Uh, I used to sleep with that under my pillow every night when I was a little kid. Was there anything like that for you? Yeah, I actually really loved, I'm a really visual person. And so I grew up with eyewitness books from DK. And I have mine back here on the shelf, actually. I still love it. And that was part of the inspiration for this new book that I that is coming out that I wrote because I had to, I definitely chose like really visual pictures. And for me, growing up as a kid without a museum in my hometown, having picture books was like the next closest thing. For sure. Yeah. It Because, I mean, I also feel like I was lucky that growing up close to the Natural History Museum in Los Angeles, just like an hour away, seeing it, you know, in person, seeing the fossils in person is definitely very inspiring. So it's like, as as authors, they were probably like, how do we, you know, create that like sense of awe when you're just sitting and reading a book, you know, which... Yeah, I mean, if you make a a book for kids without pictures, I mean, (laughs) it's it's pretty hard. (laughs) pretty hard Uh, to convince kids. So then how did you actually get on the path to become a paleontologist? Like at what point did you realize that like, I mean, this is what I want to do or or this is the world that I want to live in? I think definitely growing up and going to the museum was a huge influence. And I remember my parents actually saying, you know, you don't have to work in a typical office if you don't want to, you can work in a museum. (sighs) And right there I was sold. I was like, okay. Like, if I can work around a skeleton all day of a T-Rex, like, what? why would I ever work in a cubicle? And so, um, you know, that's kind of the path that I took. And so my whole driving force since that time was like, okay, I have to not have, I don't want a typical job. I don't want to sit in a cubicle. I want to be doing something I love, being in a museum, being outside, something like that. And so I didn't actually go straight to paleontology because that's actually a very hard path to take, uh, admittedly so. So I actually went, so I went to school for um, anthropology. um, And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Um, I am not a good test taker and I have severe anxiety uh, with tests. And so when I took the SAT, even though I had a 3.7 or something, 3.8 GPA in high school, um, the SAT was not did not show any of that. Uh, I had, I remember I had severe anxiety. It took me like three or four hours. I was like, well, I guess I'll get into whatever school this allows (laughs) me to. And so I went to IU Bloomington, which is an amazing school. So luckily I got in at my, you know, my home state uh, school, um, university. And so I went to IU Bloomington, majored in anthropology because um, that was the closest thing that they had to, to paleontology at the time. They had a zooarchaeology lab, which was really cool because I was also interested in um, animal bones. And I knew that if I had um, a chance to study animal bones, that it would lead me to vertebrate life, right? So everything has a skeleton. And so um, I worked in a zooarchaeology lab during my time at IU Bloomington um, and studied bones, studied the remains of animals found at archaeological sites. Oh, wow. And that actually led me up to my anatomy knowledge. So I got a chance to study skeletal anatomy. I took biology. I took geology. I took oceanography. Oh, cool. um, I supplemented anthropology with anything I could to try to get myself up to speed with where I needed to be to pursue paleontology in whatever way it would allow me. Um, 
And so now at IU Bloomington, I'll be happy to say they do have a paleo program. Whoa, that's and so cool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a few years late, but um, <laughs> Dave Polly is there and he's an amazing paleontologist. Um, the program is much more up to speed now, but um, you know, I, I sort of had to go the hard route. <laughs> also, I will say to anyone listening out there, I am not a math person. And at the time, if I were to have majored in geology, it would have required a severe amount of math, and I it would have taken me 10 years easy as an undergrad. That, I and mean, so, ultimately, that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually found out that one of the reasons that I'm bad at math is that I, I switch numbers, and that's a real actual disability. It's called math dyscalculia. It's like dyslexia and you switch numbers. And I am only now realizing this in my adulthood because when you're doing like real things with money or bills or whatever, or writing down a phone number, um, I actually see that sometimes I do that accidentally. And so that's probably why I was feeling so bad. Boy, I might have this. We might have to offline about this because yeah. I'm like, <laughs> how do you get tested for this? Because I definitely, I can barely remember a phone number like the, by the end, I don't remember the beginning. So anyway, it's funny that you say that and you talk about your path because a couple of the folks in the Sea Jurassic Art group, Dusty, she she was mentioning, you know, keeping her son, her son is super interested. Um, Ezra is interested in paleontology. And again, it's, and again, when we talk about your book, when we dive into that, it's like, you know, there's, it's almost like there's all these resources for like, kids to like love and fall in love with dinosaurs but then you know uh it's cool to see your path of like and and i'm assuming there's lots of different paths now in in a way to to go from being a kid to being you know an adult and actually being like hey i want to study this yeah and you know i went from from anthropology to animal behavior and i'm i'm going to say again this path was like so strange and so like all over the place and that's why i have my handle on social media as lady naturalist is because i can't decide what the heck i want to do <laughs> and so i'm just interested in everything and i've always sort of thought of myself as like a like a charles darwin or alfred russell wallace because it's like everything's fascinating i don't know how you can just stick with one subject <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess it's like we. I, uh, this is such a good bridge into the book because it's my my biggest question and why I really like the book is, you know, it's not just dinosaurs and it's such and it's something that I think you really kind of put up front that like dinosaurs are cool but it's not the whole thing and so how is that process of like the book coming together and also the decision to be like this is about fossils this isn't just about dinosaurs there's so many other cool vertebrates so many cool invertebrates there's plants in there it's like you kind of cover the whole gamut in a way uh you know or as far as like showing the big picture so like how did that all come about well I mean, everyone will tell you dinosaurs are the gateway drug into (laughs) science, right? So there's always like the big sexy thing (laughs) that allows people to get interested and get your foot in the door with science. And so for me, um, you know, doing the book uh, called Fossils for Kids and not just Dinosaurs for Kids was important because this allows kids to get an idea that paleontology does not just include dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are a big part of it, and they are obviously one of the coolest groups of animals that you could ever study uh, as a vertebrate, (laughs) right, animal. Um, But there are so many other cool groups of organisms. So I talk about stromatolites, you know, fossil bacteria. We cover um, gastropods and animals without bones. 
um, trace fossils, you know, animals um, that have left tracks or burrows um, through, you know, through time and every time period. And then, you know, I talk about, um, we even talk a little bit about hominins, um, things like Lucy, Australopithecus afarensis, and our human fossils, because, you know, we tend to look at books, if you look at what kid books are out there, it's like, there's a dinosaur book, there's a book on anthropology that, you know, it's not like a comprehensive thing. And so my goal is to have kids look at this book and get the full idea of what a fossil actually is. You know, it's, it's an, it's a sign or a trace or um, evidence of ancient life. What I like about the book too, is that, you know, I mean, as much as I, I loved my, my dinosaur encyclopedia as a kid, it's just very like, you know, it's like Pokemon almost where it's just like, all right, here's this thing. Here's this thing. There's kind of no context or, you know, it's, 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 you know, almost like you're collecting where it's your book feels more like a, almost like a field guide or something where it's like, I could totally imagine a kid, you know, bringing that with them on a road trip when they go out to, you know, I remember how old was I? We went out, I think it was in Utah or something and we saw dinosaur footprints and, you know, I could totally see a kid bringing that with them. And like, That's so awesome. You know, just kind of just being like, okay, what is this? I wanted to ask maybe some like favorite facts or something from the book. Cause when I read about microfossils, I was just like, oh, I totally didn't even think about that, but that's so obvious. Yeah. Oh, it's that's so cool that you say that. Cause I hope kids do take it with them. Um, I do have a uh, part of the book that I talk about different museums and places to go to for family road trips once we can all travel again. Yes. And so I hope that um, this, I mean, it is a paperback, so you can kind of, you know, flex it and stuff it in a bag <laughs> or whatever. It's not a hardcover book, but I mean, I, I clearly define, you know, different types of fossils. We go over what a dinosaur is. I talk about, you know, where you can visit. And, um, you know, for me, it was more about how to, how to contextualize these things. And, you know, one, one of the things that was really hard to narrow down is what fossils to put in here. Yeah, I was going to ask that. What was, <laughs> the, was it kind of your favorites or something that felt like it was more just comprehensive, kind of you touched on a little bit of everything? Part of it was to include, like, you can't have a fossil book without T-Rex, <laughs> right? Like Sue, Sue would have a word with you. Oh, yeah. I would get <laughs> tweeted at pretty hard. Um, but yeah, you have to include the big players. But then I also included some, like, lesser-known vertebrates. And I definitely had to put Dunkleosteus in there, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, I was also going to say the, the Diplocalus, the boomerang amphibian because it's like yeah i mean once you get past those sexy dinosaurs there's some like really weird yeah on dinosaurs out there yeah there's some really weird cool things um you know my favorite chapter is actually about invertebrates because i feel like invertebrates don't get enough love mm. um you know we always focus on uh how cool dinosaurs are <laughs> but we never think about you know, the snails that lived around them or the, uh, the clams. There's clams in Kansas that I got to visit um, last, was that two years ago? In, um, in Hayes, Kansas, in the Cretaceous Chalk down in Hayes that are six feet across. Whoa. Like, <laughs> they are the most enormous clams. And seeing that big of a clam in the field makes you feel so tiny. And, <laughs> is the, is you know, kids up? don't... As a pearl the size of a soccer ball? Yes, yes. So, I mean, there, there are so many cool invertebrates. You know, trilobites are kind of like the dinosaurs of 
of invertebrates. Everybody knows what a trilobite is or an ammonite. But, you know, I made sure to touch on microfossils and the fact that diatoms and foraminifera are fossils too. And, you know, you can find really tiny ones. You can find really enormous ones. You know, there's ammonites the size of cars. And so there's just so much. I hope I get to do a second book because <laughs> I did not get a chance to cover everything that I wanted to cover. I mean, it's, it's already pretty thick. It's like 100 pages. So, Well, also, I mean, in this day and age, you know, with, you know, just internet and everything being accessible um, for, for a lot of people, I guess how important was it for you to make it a living document in the sense of like, you know, you have resources to the geological map and museums. And sometimes I, I was on uh, Dustin Grawick's uh, Dino 101 and it feels like my dinosaur knowledge sometimes is limited to the dinosaur encyclopedias and books I had from when I was a kid. And I'm like, yeah. well, I haven't heard of these, like the newest dinosaur I know is Crylophosaurus, you know, like it, it's like, so how important for you was it to include those resources and things like that? Oh my gosh. Well, and they're changing all the time, you know? Um, like, look at last night. Did you watch um, Prehistoric Road Trip? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't gotten a chance to watch oh, it yet. So good. And for anyone listening, you guys have to check out Prehistoric Road Trip on PBS with my friend Emily Grassley because it is the best paleo documentary that has ever been made. And it was so important. I mean, it's people like Emily and PBS and not discovery. I don't know if you have to edit that out, but <laughs> I am, I am anti discovery because they are not giving paleontology the, just the due They're diligence. The bad guys in Jurassic park. Like it's, that, yeah, it's I mean, regard right now. Yeah. So prehistoric road trip is, is the coolest series because it covers what I tried to do in the book too. It's like, you try to talk about the most exciting parts of the field. You talk about the newest science. You feature actual scientists of diversity, right? So you're featuring, I think I saw more women in this documentary and in, in prehistoric road trip than maybe like any documentary ever. That's fantastic. And they also featured um, people of color, which is amazing. That's amazing. So, actually, it's, this actually makes me want to ask another question from the group. Um, Zelma, who's super rad, um, and she volunteers at a natural history museum where she lives she's an adult who, you know, has kind of gotten, you know, wanting to get back into or wanting to get into STEM because as a kid, sometimes those opportunities for, um, by POC is like not available to them. And so would you have any thoughts about like how to get into these kind of fields as an adult? Is there, is it, is it, you know, reading these books? Is it, is it, joining this sort of amazing science community on Twitter, like, is, or, or, like that kind of stuff? You know, it's really cool that you say that because I feel like kids do have all the resources, right? <laughs> and even, I mean, they, seriously, this book, I had a little bit of a problem with the title because it's fossils for kids, but this book is really for anyone aged five to like 99. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like adults, and I was adult programs coordinator at the Cleveland Museum where I was working on programming for adults about natural history. And I really do feel that podcasts like Ologies and, you know, every, I don't know, there's just so many cool resources out there. There needs to be more for adults because, you know, I've been seeing this meme go around the last couple of days that's, you know, no one cares what your favorite dinosaur is when you're an oh. adult. You've probably seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, having resources for adults is really important. And I always recommend that if you're interested in fossils and paleontology, that you should definitely visit your local museum. If you don't have a local museum, there's usually a local fossil club within a few, um, you know, maybe cities around you. Um, and there are definitely online groups that you can join. Um, there are so many communities now on Facebook that you can join and be a part of. And there's paleontological digs that you can visit and go on as an adult person or with your family that you should not have to pay for. I'm, I'm very strong in saying this. Um, a lot of the digs that are commercial digs for commercial collectors um, will market themselves as being uh, educational and, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know, try to try to get you to come out and pay $2,000 for like a day's worth of digging. But um, there are other digs like the Wyoming Dinosaur Center that do contribute to science and are not expensive for you. Dinosaur Journey Museum has day digs that you can go out and actually spend uh, two or three days at. And um, it is a fee, but it's not thousands of dollars, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm happy to provide uh, resources for adults um, as well as kids. If, you know, we can throw that up on a website somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. A link of the episode. Yeah. Because I mean, it seems like, yeah, especially since I've been working on ologies and just, I got to speak at dinosaur day at the natural History museum last year in Los Angeles. And so it's the kind of thing where it's almost like there's a lot of people where either growing up, they didn't think it could be possible or, or it was inaccessible to them. Yeah. And it's like, now we're like, wait a minute, what the hell? Again, it's like, I think more people are having that realization. It's like, wait, I can, it's possible to try and be on a, to get on a path where I can work around bones or I can at least, you know, talk about and, and, and work in those kind of environments and stuff. I don't just have to work yeah. in an office. I mean, there are so many museums that need, I mean, museums rely almost entirely in paleontology on the support of their volunteers. Part of, I mean, Every museum that I've ever been a part of relies on volunteers, whether it's for education or preparation of fossils or being, you know, a docent or um, working. I mean, anywhere you can definitely get involved in paleontology as an adult. Um, I feel really strongly that as, I mean, maybe it's just this generation that, you know, it's the Jurassic Park generation that you and I, that you know, we've had all these dreams and we've been told to pursue our dreams and maybe some of us went into um, law or uh, retail or whatever, and that's fine. But I know in the Ologies Facebook group, I've seen a lot of people that have chosen to go back to school and get their master's and even PhDs because of things like Ologies and being so inspired by these amazing, diverse scientists that you know, have broken all the molds, you know, they're not your typical, like, white science guy with glasses. <laughs> um, and so the problem for me is like, you know, I came from like the tail end of the last group that like, you know, had I gone to school a few years later, my path may have been a little bit different because our, our knowledge of how to do school and why to do school and what to pursue has changed so much, you know. Yeah. And so I even think about now, um, you know, I only quote unquote have my bachelor's, but I've been able to accomplish so much because when I graduated, it was like going to a, a grad degree wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. And it definitely wasn't a requirement for all the jobs that I needed. 
Yeah. So right after I went to school, I went straight into uh, my career in zoo education. So I worked at the LA Zoo as an educator. Then I got hired at the Natural History Museum in LA, where I was an educator at the La Brea Tar Pits and Natural History Museum. Then I got my career as the assistant curator of uh, paleontology at the Ray Alf Museum, which is such a cool museum in Claremont, California. And oh, I, I need to visit this. Yes, you haven't been? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're, we're getting you hooked up here. Yes. <laughs> so that's where I was. I was going out in the field and I was doing, um, you know, the curatorial work and identifying bones and making sure they were all tucked, you know, nicely away in the drawers with foam and in their vials and things. And so, um, you know, my path to paleontology was not typical. It was very difficult. And it's, I may, I only made it work because of passion. You know, it was, it was the dedication I have. And do we have time for a side story? Yes. Yes. Oh, right, of course. So fun fact, my boss at the LA zoo was Dr. Luis Chiappe's wife. Oh, who wow is the main curator at the Natural History Museum in Love him. Um, He's so great. In LA. Yeah, Dr. Chiappe. And so I said, oh my God, you have to get me connected <laughs> with Dr. Chiappe. I would love to, this is like back when I was like, okay, getting back into paleontology again. Um, I wanted to be a zookeeper at the LA Zoo, but the wait list for that is extremely long because everyone wants to work with animals and everyone wants to be outside in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess in summer is LA all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I actually ended up being hired as a gallery interpreter and I was there for seven years doing that. And I did not get to work with Dr. Chiappe because in the job description, it said that you could not volunteer at the same time as you were being sort of an employee, right? Of the museum. Oh, there was like a conflict of interest there. And so that's why I found the Ray Alf Museum of Paleontology, which is a tiny, tiny little museum on a hill there in Claremont that is the only uh, high school that is also associated directly on the same campus as a private museum. Wow. And a paleontology museum at that. So the Alf Museum has a world-class collection that is mainly Miocene. So it's got bear dogs and some really cool trace fossils and tracks and um, mammals. But then they also have this huge collection of Cretaceous dinosaurs from the Kaparowitz Formation in Utah. So think Parasaurolophus, Edmontosaurus, um, big carnivores. Um, I got to excavate a baby Parasaurolophus there um, named Baby Joe which we found in Utah and uh, is the only baby Parasaurolophus in the world, by the way. Whoa. Yeah. Incredible. So cool. Um, Parasaurolophus, by the way, is my favorite dinosaur. Yes. <laughs> yes. So just showed him my, my Parasaurolophus tattoo. Yeah. Um, I love duckbill dinosaurs are my, I mean, I love the long boys. Definitely. I'm definitely a seropod at heart, but like right there with it is duckbills, Shentungosaurus. Yes. Um, just the biggest cool, cool group yeah and they were huge they got as big as t-rex or bigger i feel like it doesn't i feel like jurassic park like i love that parasaurolophus is the only dinosaur that's been in all five jurassic park movies with the exception of rexes and raptors it's the someone that's been in all of them but i feel like it needs they need to like put it front and center it, it had a moment in lost world 
but that, you know, that was a sad moment. It was, be, you know, it was being, uh, it was being captured. It's like, we need, we need to see the duckbill dinosaurs in all their glory. We have a duckbill dinosaur tail here at the Museum of the Rockies that is as big, if not bigger than a T-Rex. It is <laughs> enormous. There were duckbill dinosaurs that could have kicked T-Rex's butt. Ugh. Like, we need to see that kind of stuff in movies. I mean, carnivores always win, and that was not always the case in real life. Even though I took a film class in, or even though I majored in film at UCSB, the, the class I did the best in was dinosaurs. I got an A plus in that class. And on the first day, they play you the Parasaurolophus, you know, the sound of blowing through the thing. And you're just like, if you're not changed as a person because of that, like, who <laughs> dead inside? <laughs> Have they done other, because they, that's, and they do it at the, and it's at the Natural History Museum in LA too, the Parasaurolophus end. Have they done that with like Corythosaurus or Lambiosaurus or anything? No, um, not to my knowledge. Parasaurolophus is kind of the one that's been focused on the most because it's so big and so tubular. Yeah. <laughs> tubular. Um, and when I was a gallery interpreter working in the, in the galleries there, you know, I was talking to people every day and doing tours and stuff. I mean, that, that noise of the Parasaurolophus <laughs> interactive is still very much in my brain. Did you hear it when I was just, just talking about it right now? Could yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then there's other museums that you can sort of like um, force air through, like in an actual like oh. 3D uh, tube, like PVC pipe style. Actually, at the ALF Museum, they have one there. Oh, well, I have to try it. To, I guess I'll, you know, just do a little spritz of my... Uh, hand sanitizer beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back on track though, I, um, we we're talking about the ALF museum. Um, it is, it is just such a cool place. And if, if anyone is in California, y'all need to stop by and that, so being at the ALF museum and getting denied from NHMLA working in their paleontology department led me to the ALF museum which I was there for five years. And so um, my big sort of message to people is don't ever let anything stop you. I love like, that. Always persist. And did that kind of, I mean, it, it feels like, I think you were mentioning before that kind of more, you know, dinosaurs are amazing, but also there's this, there's a whole, you know, it's part of a larger backdrop. And, and so that really informed the book. Yeah. It seems like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would not be against doing a book on dinosaurs, but I think there's so many other cool animals like dodo birds. And um, my God, what else do I have in here? I cover dodos and Credolamna, which is a Cretaceous shark. Um, we've got, um, like I said, ammonites, trilobites, fossil plants. No one talks about fossil plants and we yeah. all know and love Ellie Sattler. Hello. <laughs> So I cover ginkgo biloba, Allothopterus, Araucaria, and I mean, fossil plants are rad. They really are. You know, um, I was a paleobotany volunteer at the uh, Cleveland Museum when we first moved to Cleveland, and um, paleobotany is so different. It, one of the things about paleontology is that it's not all the same across all the different disciplines. So each part of paleontology has its own rules and invertebrate paleontology is different than vertebrate paleontology is different than paleobotany. And I'll give you an example. So in paleobotany, when you find a leaf, 
it is one thing, right? So it's not connected to anything. When you find a branch, that is one thing. When you find a trunk, that is another thing. And so what's happened in paleobotany over the years is that they have all been named different things. Oh, no. And so this leaf is a different genus and species as this stick is a different <laughs> thing as this trunk until someone finds the whole thing together, right? When you find the trunk attached to a branch attached to a leaf, that's when you can say, oh my gosh, that's one individual organism. And now we can consolidate those names, right? But it is very confusing learning paleobotany. And if you want to like go off and like, if you, you know, want to <laughs> go on a different kind of journey, if you're like, all right, I got dinosaurs, I can pull with that. <laughs> paleobotany will blow your mind. Uh. I love that. Well, I was, I was listening to the Common Descent podcast and I think they briefly touched on like what happens if two things are the same thing and how the renaming works. I can't even imagine how that would work for plants. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, like with, uh, you know, it happens with dinosaurs too. Like, oh, like Brontosaurus and Apatosaurus, right? Yeah. So. I feel like it's just... I, like, again, it, it seemed like it was very complicated. I'm like, why don't you guys just like Rochambeau for it? You know, like, <laughs> no, I don't. And you can definitely, um, I mean, usually it's the oldest. It's the first named thing that sticks, right? And so it's kind of sad for the second person who thought they got the name of the <laughs> This was my leaf. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, you also touched like um, a little bit in the book too on like actual figures and you got to talk about, or you talked about Mary Anning. Yes. So it, it, is that something you would also like, because you're mentioning like a second book, is that kind of, I guess, how important is it to talk about the figures? I mean, personally, for me, it's like, again, coming from this background of where it's like only old white men and stuff like that. And it's like, no, there were these other figures in history that are were ignored. And yeah, you know, how do, how do you how do we go about like rectifying that in a way and kind of rewriting to actually show the real I mean, that's in a way? That's part of the reason why I love social media so much and why I've gravitated towards having an online presence is because the bigger platform you can have, right, the more you can educate people about these, these lesser known people in paleontology. And so, you know, I grew up with Jack Horner and Robert Bacher, which, you know, that's pretty much all we had in the 90s <laughs> as far as paleontologists go. And, you know, it didn't affect my path at all. I wasn't like, why isn't there a woman paleontologist? You know, because I was a kid, you don't really know any different. But now, you know, I get messages from people on Instagram that's like, oh my gosh, I follow you for my daughter or my son loves your page or like, you know, any kid, you know, can see that paleontologists don't have to look a certain way. And so I think the cool thing about, you know, having social media and having all these platforms to share now is just the fact that you, your reach goes so much farther, right? And so for me, featuring Mary Anning was a huge, huge deal because, I mean, Mary Anning, I, I wish she was around now to see how far we've come. Like, it breaks my heart every day to know that she can't know that her work is so well-loved now and that she's such a huge figure in paleontology. She would just, I don't know, she would be so touched. <laughs> Well, and I think too, I guess I, I, to talk more about social media, I mean, for people who aren't on like science Twitter, it's like, 
getting to see, you know, Black AF and STEM and all the different games, you know, Afro Herper where she does find that lizard and love Aaron and Kaylee was, you know, crow or no. It's like, if to me, it's like, if you're interested in science, it's, it's almost like that thing where it's like, I want to fill up the, the feed with the things that I love or that I'm interested in. And it's like, I guess, how has that experience been for you? And how has it like changed since you, I feel like, I mean, again, I probably like, I've slowly started following more scientists over time, but has it become much more of an, an open thing or has it been more of like, is there more of a dialogue now between scientists and non-scientists or how has that whole thing worked? Like, over? Oh my God. I mean, I've been on Twitter for, I think it's been like 10 years when you go and look at your, your anniversary thing. It's been a long time. I was, uh, it's been, it's been a huge evolution. I mean, social media has come so far in the fact that, you know, it's just so accessible. I actually really love Twitter and I know a lot of people feel differently and I'm the type of person who will like, if I hear someone say they don't like social media, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Okay, back it up. Let me, let me, I'm just going to take you under my wing and I want to show you all the things and show you all the people because it's so nice. And I know it can be toxic. And I know that a lot of people think it's just for the Kardashians and for the president, but um, (laughs) it is so much more than that. There are institutions to follow. There are scientists that are extremely diverse, you know, people of color, LGBTQIA plus everything. I mean, it's like, the one thing that I, I love about Twitter is that if you know who to follow, it can open. Like if you follow one scientist and you get all their retweets, it opens huge doors. Yeah, that, right? was, that was for me. It's like all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I'm following this person, this person. I mean, uh, Jada yeah. Alcox, like animal facts. Oh my God. Like Amazing. That like that's like the kind of thing where it's like, oh, now when I open Twitter, like, this is a this is like a good feeling seeing that and like watching. Jada was like a game changer for me on TikTok. I was like, wait, what? Oh, I yeah. I mean, I can't even. I mean, what science TikTok looks like, you know, like oh that's probably going to become a thing, you know, or it already has been a thing, and I and I've been. Missing I it. tried. I I I run so many. I run social media for um, myself, and then for two different organizations, and then I'm doing a SciComm camp this summer for the Sternberg Museum, where I'm teaching kids how to actually do and be a science communicator online and and how to facilitate that for yourself. And so it's like, um, I'm constantly amazed at the evolution of, of these people showing their faces and showing that science doesn't have to be boring and it can be cool. And um, Jada is like, I'm booking her for my camp as like a speaker because she has blown me away. She's like the one person recently that I've been like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been a conscious thing of like, the kind of games and the kind of participation is that really been, or is that kind of been like, um, what is it called? Like, you know, it's just kind of a thing that kind of permeates and everyone is like, wait, this is a really good way to engage with people. To the yeah. Public. I think SciComm games are super fun. And I mean, you've got crow or no find that lizard. Um, uh, Oh gosh. Yara's. Guess the skull. Guess, Guess the, skull. the skull. Um, and then, I'm probably going to start one at some point very soon with my partnership with Celestron Microscopes. I've got my microscope here behind me, so I'm probably going to do Microscope Mondays. Yes. Um, and do another kind of guessing game. I actually used to do that, and I stopped for a while. It was What's It Wednesday? Um, nice. Where people, you know, you show an up close of something, and then people guess what it is. Wait, um, who did... Was that Emily 
that did the not the Dimetrodon thing on like Tumblr a long time ago. Oh, um, not, not a dinosaur. That, yeah. yeah, not a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. So that to, I mean, that to me was like one of the that was like on Tumblr. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a Tumblr too. It's like that's the crazy thing about social media. It's always changing and. I'll like drop a platform or start a new one. I stopped using Snapchat and Tumblr and then I picked up TikTok. And I mean, there's just so many ways to engage with scientists these days. It's so cool. I'm so jealous of kids these days. <laughs> I know it's like, I mean, I, yeah. I, and especially for kids now, cause they're like getting school from home. I mean, I talked to, to Dustin Grawick and it, and it was so exciting to be on that show because it was just like, imagine if I had that as a kid to like tune into and the art galleries and stuff. And it's, the, it's crazy. Yeah. So, it's I mean, so cool. yeah, I, it, now I'm like, now I'm overwhelmed of like how many, th- what would I do if I was a kid? I'd be like, now, now it feels like my dinosaur encyclopedia books are so quaint in comparison. But I, I also think in some ways, I think now, if anything, like a book like yours is more important than ever because it, if anything, it gets you started off like, you know, it, there is something to be said about like learning the basics, you know? And so, oh yeah. And so instead of like jumping into the pool and being like, wait, what am I doing? It's like, okay, here's <laughs> where you start. And then you kind of have the right, you know, to go off where you Well, in the go. front of my book, and this book is really basic in the fact that like I go over the definition of a fossil, the definition of amber, mummification, petrification, um, molds, casts. Uh, freezing, all these sorts of things that fossils can be. And so it's really important to um, establish ground knowledge before diving into the really complicated stuff, because you have to know what a dinosaur is first before you explore, you know, other, you know, pterosaurs and things, right? You can't confuse your groups of animals. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just watched Eons just did a a video on these not dinosaurs that look like there were crocodiles pretending to be dinosaurs. And I was like, what, what is oh, this? Yeah. How have I never heard of these, 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 uh, di- like these crocodiles cosplaying as dinosaurs. And that crocodiles also have like dainty ankles that are different than any other creature. Like, okay. I now I want that to be a thing. Crocodiles cosplaying as dinosaurs. <laughs> the, the, I don't, I don't remember any of like the paleo artists off the top of my head, but like, that was kind of the, the folks at Eons. It was kind of in my head, how they were describing them where it's like this kind of almost, you know, they're in the same environment in the yeah. late Triassic, I think, or yeah. sometime in the Triassic. And it was just like, well, these things, yeah, where these things work for, for dinosaurs, why not? And then something, you know, eventually something happened and the dinosaurs won, but. Yeah, no, convergent evolution is my favorite type of evolution. Like sexual selection is really cool with like the flashy, you know, ways that animals attract one another. <laughs> but I think convergent evolution where you have two groups of completely unrelated things evolving the same trait is so amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm trying to think if I have any other fun questions. Well, I wanted, to, wanted you to talk about your engagement story because I love it so much. Um, Yay! But that was, that, yeah, that's pretty much everything other than that because it's such a beautiful oh. a beautiful story well we've been we um lee hall at paleo guy is my husband and we have been married now for six years and part of the reason that we got together was i mean not just because of our love of paleontology but was because of jurassic park so, you know, I said from the very beginning that as a kid, I grew up loving Jurassic Park and I walked out of the movie theater and I was like, I'm going to be a paleontologist. This is so freaking cool. And, you know, I pretended to be a velociraptor on the playground in fourth grade. And I mean, I was the, the I was a girly girl, but I love dinosaurs. And there's, you know, nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of girls that do that today. And so, um, you know, when I was looking for someone to date, it was extremely difficult <laughs> because I was living in LA and there are a lot of actors and a lot of musicians and I dated both of them and <laughs> they always respected my love of paleontology, but never got on the level of being like, all right, like let's talk genus and species and evolution, <laughs> you know, like the type of like new discoveries, like. You know, I needed some a, a fellow paleontologist to like spend my life with. So I went on OK, OK Cupid, which was and is the free dating website. And I literally sat down one night and typed in paleontologist into the, the like search bar. <laughs> yeah. And I was getting people that were like, dinosaurs are cool. Jurassic Park is my favorite movie. And I was like, that's nice, but what else? <laughs> and so I was searching for someone with an actual degree with actual experience to match mine. And on page six, I believe it was, I saw a very handsome, very becoming guy with a white cowboy hat and sunglasses. And on the little description, it said BSC paleontology, Montana state university. And I was like, Bingo. <laughs> and so I messaged him and um, I wrote basically a book. I was like, hi, my name is Ashley. Uh, I work at the Natural History Museum. I love dinosaurs, blah, blah, blah. Like this whole like just life stories worth of like a dating, like would have scared anybody else away. Right. And so I didn't hear back for two whole weeks. It's like, way too long right so first week passes i'm like oh my god second week passes i'm like i'm gonna have to call montana state and see who this person is and show them this picture and be a stalker about it <laughs> <laughs> and so um he finally wrote me back and when we talked on the phone he said well i'm going to the field and we're going to hell creek because i run the digs for montana state and for the museum of the rockies and the service out there is really shoddy so like I'm, we may just have to talk when I get back. And so it turned out that he was able to find pretty good cell reception by like positioning himself just so on a mountain wow. and trying to like get the service that he could so that we could talk. And so we talked 
once a week and then we talked twice a week and then we talked three times a week and it just kind of escalated from there. And it wasn't until four months later that we actually met in person. Wow. So we didn't have video chat. We only talked on the phone and we wrote letters back and Very forth. Very 90s. I was going to say you're doing it 90s style. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And we wrote letters and he sent me packages and it was super cute and super nice. And then we finally got to see each other on camera after four months. Um, so he visited me at LA for the first time in September. And um, I knew that weekend that I was going to marry him. Wow. Like no question. Beautiful. Yeah. And so we dated uh, for two years before we got engaged and he actually was in Jurassic Park three in the um, the credits, like the when you go to the extra features, there's a dig scene where they actually go out to Montana to the Hell Creek. And oh, wow, yeah, I didn't know a, that. Yeah, there's a 16 year old Lee Hall that's excavating um, a skeleton in the field, and it's just super funny. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. and then um, the actual engagement was like in in montana like where the site was from the movie it was right? well it was in Snakewater, montana which is actually california oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny yeah and so um because we both grew up loving jurassic park and and everything um when it came time to propose to me he decided that he would take me out to the original dig scene in jurassic park which is in um, Red Rock Canyon State Park in California. It's oh. a beautiful, beautiful area. You have to go. And so when you see the scene where um, John Hammond comes down on the helicopter and the sand is blowing everywhere, um, that's actually where they shot it. He took me out there to propose to me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> there was, um, I didn't know he was taking me out to propose. I thought it was just an anniversary trip. And so we went out to, um, you know, to basically go hiking and he set up a tripod with a camera on it. And I was like, well, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, well, do you know where we are? And I'm like, yeah, it's like Red Rock Canyon. Like, I don't know. He's like, this is where they filmed Jurassic Park. And I was like, whoa, what? That's so cool. And so he's like, yeah, we're going to reenact the, the scene where the kid says, that doesn't look very scary, more like a six-foot turkey. And of course, I was playing the kid. <laughs> and so um, he's like, okay. So he, he pushes play on the record button on the camera, and he starts reciting Alan Grant's lines, like verbatim, in, by the way, Alan Grant cosplay. So hat, yes. shirt, pants everything down to like the belt and like I'm standing there and by the way wearing an Ellie Sattler costume because that's just how we do <laughs> this is too like, perfect no literally like I didn't put it on because I knew this was happening I put it on because when I go out to the field I wear a light blue tank top with khakis and my salmon colored shirt because why not <laughs> yeah you have to yeah, you got to totally. You're 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 already there. Yeah, the the icing on the cake. Absolutely. So I'm wearing that, and then he's reciting the Alan Grant lines, and then after he says basically Alan Grant's entire spiel, he pulls out a handmade black velociraptor claw and proposes to me 
and he can tell you like the whole thing. It was, um, oh, I, I'm like speechless talking about it, but he pulls out the claw and there's a ring on it and on the claw, on the claw. Yeah. Like on the very, on the tip of the claw, I've got the pictures. Um, and he proposed to me in an Alan Grant costume while I was wearing an LA Sattler costume. So <laughs> some people, you know, maybe they walk down the aisle to the Jurassic Park theme song. Um, you know, maybe Which we did. <laughs> I mean, but that's just, that's just, you know, you gotta, you know, this is the, 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 the full picture, you know, it was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was so great. And then of course, to not disappoint people, we made our, um, our wedding invitation, a Jurassic park themed invitation. And then we had to have a Jurassic park themed wedding because you can't not after you have an engagement like that. <laughs> And so for our- <laughs> you're just like, all of a sudden you're just like, eh, we're just going to make it like Tim Burton themed or something. <laughs> we're going to do an aliens wedding. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which would I- be equally as cool. The tux is like a xenomorph anyway. Oh, I love it. Ripley no, we actually had dress. a Jurassic Park wedding to, oh. to follow up. And so we did our own centerpieces and we had bell jars with um, each bell jar represented a different scene from the movie. So we had um, Nedry's desk uh, was a theme. So we had like a candy wrapper and the Barbasol can inside of a bell jar. And then we had uh, Amber was our centerpiece. So Lee actually made um, a mosquito and Amber with a a sandstone base that lit up. Um, So it illuminated the Amber and it said, que lindo eres. and then we had the um, the brachiosaurus uh, scene. So we had a brachiosaur on the table with like some sunglasses, and <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was. Are, oh, are people our... taking notes right now? Like, <laughs> and then we had our guest book, which we had um, uh, the bloody arm of Mr. Arnold uh, <laughs> holding the pen, <laughs> which not everyone's. You know, I'm sure people's grandmas would be like super questioning this decision but ours were super cool with it yeah oh that's so perfect (laughs) and then um we had my ring bearer which usually people have like someone's niece or dog or i don't know something (laughs) like that uh our friend paleontologist nate carroll had his puppet as darkid which is one of the biggest pterosaurs in the world basically as my ring bearer so it was a full-size six or seven foot as darkened pterosaur which was manned by our friend sarah uh she was actually inside of the bottom part walking the animal around and then nate was operating the head which is like as long as a person because these animals had extremely long beaks and um it got to walk up the aisle by the way we didn't tell anyone that it was going to walk up the aisle <laughs> and so the giant pterosaur just yes <laughs> so we were getting married at the natural history museum in santa barbara and it was this beautiful outdoor occasion and it was sunny and it was perfect weather and we said our vows and stuff and all of a sudden <laughs> everyone turns around and there's this giant stork right it looks like a giant stork walking up the aisle <laughs> and it's got um it's got it's we ha- had the like ring box in its mouth. Yes. And so it hands the ring box to my paleontology boss, Andy Forky, who then presents it to us. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everyone's Gosh. like, what the hell? 
look, it, that's better than a flash mob. I will hundred times, hundred times over. I would rather have a pterosaur present a ring. than. Oh, a it was great. Wow. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, Ashley, this has been so wonderful talking. I'm so glad that we finally got to connect again. Oh. Uh, you were telling your, like your whole history. I'm like, I feel like if I had moved to LA a couple of years earlier, <laughs> I probably would have been right there at the museum, you know? Well, we are closer now than ever because no one can get together. So, I mean, I <laughs> might as well live in the same place. Um, yeah, yeah, true. We can do we can do lots more together. I'm so excited. Yeah, let's, yeah, well, I want to definitely put together, because there's just so many people who it's like, oh yeah, I can go back to school now I, and I can pursue that thing that I love and seeing seeing people out there doing it and seeing that community just, it, you know, it's that thing of like, nobody wants to be alone. Like I thought about going back to school for, glaciology like five years ago that sounds amazing but which i and i love ice and i want to go to antarctica one day but, i want to hear about this that's so fascinating but i think has at the time, done an ice episode yet yes she's she has she's done she's done ice and snow so oh, um, so cool but yeah it's like one of those things where i think at the time it just didn't work out because it was just like i'm working my first job in la and so i was like looking into it but in a way like i wish i had had the sort of science communities on Twitter and things like that, because it just felt more like, why would I go back to school when I already have like a career and stuff? And so, so I feel like seeing uh, not only just other people going back to school, but also just seeing people out there doing it and like seeing folks like you, like making it this thing where it, it doesn't feel like it's this ivory tower sort of closed off. It's like, no, we need more scientists for the love yeah. of God. We need more scientists right now. And that's really important to know too, is that you don't have to be a scientist to be fully involved in science, right? There are so many different ways to get involved now. And um, I mean, honestly, academia, I've thought about this a million times. It's like academia is not for everyone and um, school is hard and it is very inaccessible to a lot of people sometimes, um, you know, but science is more accessible now than ever, right? Yeah. I mean, ologies has opened so many doors. <laughs> no, Allie, Allie's doing amazing stuff. Um, where can people follow you? And again, you know, I'm going to put the links to all the book and all, you know, that yes. stuff, but is there like, what's the, is there just like one link or, or kind of support your local bookseller? How does that work? Uh, you can support, uh, I would highly recommend supporting your local bookstore. Um, ask them to get Fossils for Kids in um, in the store. Um, you can also buy it on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, um, and several other online retailers. I will be selling it eventually through my website because I've had so many people want uh, an autographed copy, so I can do that eventually. Um, and everyone can follow me on Instagram at Lady Naturalist with an underscore and then at Lady Naturalist on Twitter. Awesome. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.